Welcome to the Living Rock Podcast. If you have a Bible, can you guess where we're going to turn? Ephesians. Genesis. <laughs> Ephesians. We're going to turn to Ephesians. If you are, if you're new here, welcome. It's really great to have you. Um, to to catch you up a little bit, we are currently going through the Book of Ephesians together. So, uh, if you have a Bible, please turn to Ephesians. <clears throat> Uh, We're going to be looking in Ephesians chapter 2 today, and we're going to be learning all about the cornerstone. Has has anybody heard that word before? Cornerstone. Yeah, okay, phew, good, all right. Um, You can tell me what it means. No, we're going to look into Ephesians 2. What we're going to do, what I want to look at today is uh, four verses that talk about Jesus, the cornerstone. I want to go through those verses sort of phrase by phrase to help us understand what it means. Because sometimes we can read things through the Bible. We read four verses like in 30 seconds and you kind of get the general gist, but sometimes it's really good to to break it down a bit and pull lots of stuff out of these verses. And it's going to tell us all about Jesus, the cornerstone. Okay? Um, So Ephesians you might know it was written by a guy called Paul. Paul was an apostle. And uh, he wrote it specifically to this church that if it was around today, would have been in Turkey. We know where Turkey is. Um, Ephesus, this place, was on like the edge of Turkey. And so I find that helpful because this isn't just a, a kind of made up, this is a real letter written to real people that lived in a real place. But it's not just a letter for people thousand years ago in Turkey, it's also a letter for us today in Market Harbour. It's a letter from God to his people. And so when we read this, it's important that we read it to us. We're not just reading about a church ages ago, but it's about us as well. So we're going to read um, Ephesians 2 from verse 19. Now follow this along in your own Bible. What I've done, we have the, um, the words on the screen, I've merged three different translations together because it helps me say what I need to say. <laughs> so don't, you know, don't throw stones at me. It's fine. Um, but you can follow along on there if you want or read it in your Bible. It will be basically the same. So it says this. So now you are no longer foreigners and strangers. You are citizens with God's people and members of his family. Together we are his house built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the, what? Cornerstone. In him, the whole building is carefully joined together and grows into a holy temple for the Lord. And in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. Okay. Hands up if you've ever read that before. Yeah, many of us. Hopefully, if we were in Ephesians, so hopefully you've, you've read it. So I'm going to take this phrase by phrase and just try and unpack it for us to help us understand more about Jesus as a cornerstone. So it starts with these two words. So now, whenever you read that in the Bible, or the equivalent therefore, or so, or consequently it might say in your versions, we should be asking ourselves, what came before this? You know, those two words means that something was said before, and now, or so now, and then something's going to come after us. This is like the turning point. So I'm not going to read it all, but Ephesians... 
Paul starts by describing um, what happens when Jesus gave us new life. That's kind of what he's talking about. Uh, Chapter 2 talks about this new life that Christ's death and resurrection brings. And then he talks a bit about how um, it's no longer something that Jews and Gentiles are separate from. That's the concept he's talking about. He's writing to primarily Gentile people, which basically means they weren't Jews. And he's writing to them to say, listen, whatever's happened before, what Jesus has done has brought you together. You're not separate people anymore, but you're together. So because of Jesus' death and resurrection, he's brought you together, so. Okay? So that's what that means. Next phrase, you are no longer foreigners or strangers. So these Gentile people might have felt like foreigners or strangers. Um, We were at a party last night. I don't know whether you've ever had this. You've been to an event or a party or a wedding or something, and you have felt like um, a bit of a stranger. And we didn't feel like strangers, but sometimes you go to a place and you don't know anybody, and like everyone else is chatting, and you're there sort of like in the corner. Uh, Hi. And you might feel like a bit of a stranger in that place. Do you know that feeling? That feeling of, or you go to a different country. The, when we went to um, Morocco, oh man, yeah, we really felt like foreigners in Morocco because the whole place is different, different culture, different language. We couldn't read anything, we couldn't speak the language. We really felt like foreigners. And what Paul is saying is that that feeling or that identity that you once had, strangers, foreigners, that's gone. Because what Jesus has done, he's made you not strangers or foreigners. Um, Sometimes we can feel like that when we um, come to church. Sometimes we we come to this place and um, you might be relatively new or or brand new and you're like, wow, everyone else really knows each other and I'm sort of here as a brand new person. And sometimes you can feel like a a foreigner or a stranger or sometimes if, if you haven't been around in a while and you kind of like, you come back and you might feel just like, like, like a distant from things. What Paul is saying, what Jesus has done, is that we are no longer foreigners or strangers. We're not outsiders anymore. Um, instead, we are, next phrase, citizens with God's people. So Paul writes into the Gentiles at the time, they now had as much right as the Jews Um, to be a part of what God was doing, to be God's people. Um, They're now called citizens with God's people. Um, A citizen is uh, an inhabitant or a resident or a passport holder. Has anybody got a passport? If you've got a British passport, you're a British citizen. If you've got a... um, Kim has a New Zealand passport as well because she has dual citizenship. So she's a citizen of Britain and New Zealand. When you're a citizen of a place, it means that you belong there. Um, Maybe it's the place that you live. And so what's happened is because of what Jesus has done, he's now made us citizens of his kingdom. We've now got a new passport. When we're we're saved, it it describes us being born again. So we're now born into a new kingdom, a new place. It's God's place. It's God's kingdom. Okay? So we are citizens with God's people. And that means that we have every right that comes with that because of our passports, because of our God's kingdom passports. 
everything that is involved in it. We're not going to talk about the kingdom of God today. That's a huge topic, but it has a lot of consequences and we have a lot of rights and we have authority with that. And all of that now belongs to us because of what Jesus has done. We're not just citizens on our own, but we are citizens with our brothers and sisters. I say brothers and sisters because the next phrase says that we are members of his family. Okay, so we are, we're not strangers and foreigners. We're citizens of God's kingdom and we're members of his family. Um, this is a family gathering. Welcome. <laughs> You're all my brothers and sisters. I am your brother. Um, does anybody have a large family? And when I say large, more than like five or six or ten, I don't know. I, we, Kim often says, because Kim's family is relatively small, so she says our family is quite large. Um, I've got some family photos to show you of two sides of my family. So my dad's side first. Uh, and it's a little bit dark, but that's my dad's side of the family at a family gathering, which they happen. If, you, if you've got a big family, you might have these types of family gatherings where maybe once a year or every so often you have to get together because you're the family and you've got to catch up. That's, da- that's dad's side. And then the next one, that's my mum's side of the family. Guess which side is the more wacky side? <laughs> Mum's side. Um, but we, ha- we have these family gatherings, and every time we get together as a family, it's great because you're, you catch up with one another, you find out how each other's getting on in life. It's like, oh, how's the job going? How's school going for you? And what often happens is the, the if you like, the mother or the father of the family, matriarch, patriarch, whatever you want to call it, often they kind of sit there and they, they look out over the family and they're so proud of the family because the family's together. And that's how God is with us. The fact that we're together today, God, Jesus is here, but God is here and he looks and says, oh, he's so proud. He's like, look at the family. Look at the family. So we're all here. We're members of his family. And just to say, your, your own family experience might not have been a good one. You might have grown up in a family which was challenging. Um, it wasn't perfect. Maybe half of the family, you know, doesn't exist, or maybe you didn't know your dad, or, you know, like, lots of people have complicated family histories. But let me give you the good news is that God's family, the church, is a great family. Yes. Because it's God's family. He designed it that way. Next phrase, together, we are his house. So we're citizens, we're members of his family, And then it describes us as his house. That word together, that's us, his his people, his church. So his church, have a little look around. This is is everybody. Hi, everybody. Look at those faces, lovely. Um, We're his house, which is a funny concept. We think of a house as buildings and a roof. But God calls people his house, his church, Um, It's the place where he chooses to live. A house is where you live, isn't it? Um, God chooses to live amongst his people. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that amazing? God doesn't have like a a door in heaven, number 27 or something, and you knock and he's like, hi, God. No, he lives here. He lives here, doesn't he, Becky? Yeah. We are the place that he calls home. And so whenever the church gathers together, God is here because this is his home. He's here. So he's here this morning. Um, 
we're his house. And then it says this, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. I'm not going to say a lot about this because Richard Jones did such a fantastic job a few weeks ago describing apostles, prophets, and evangelists, pastors, and teachers. The five gifts that Jesus gives to the church to help the church grow. If you haven't listened to it, if you weren't here, listen back on the podcast. It's called Ephesians 4 and more. And uh, it's really good. It unpacks all of those things. But the point is this. The church is built on a strong foundation. Very strong. You know the the parable of um, the wise and the foolish builders? One builds on a rock, one builds on sand. The house on the sand falls down. The church is built on a solid rock foundation, which includes the apostles and the prophets. And then, key phrase, with Christ Jesus himself as the... Cornerstone, great. This is the, the, the crux of this whole passage. So we're not outsiders, we're citizens, we're God's family, we're his house, and Jesus is right at the heart of the house. He's right at the heart of the family, he's right at the heart of his kingdom. Jesus, the cornerstone. None of this is possible without Jesus. None of it would work well without him as the cornerstone. Now, my friend Dan Hensher, who happens to be a builder, has kindly let us use some props this morning, which includes, what is this, Dan? Just a a breeze block. Can I call it a cornerstone for today? Great. We've got a cornerstone. (laughs) Now, uh, Dan tells me it's quite heavy. So I probably won't lift it up to show you, but um, if you can, can everybody see on the table here? We have this big, this big block in the corner, okay? This is a cornerstone. Now, you might know this from other cornerstone messages, but a cornerstone, back in the day when people used to build buildings, they would have the, the foundation, and then the building would start with a cornerstone. And the reason it starts with a cornerstone is because the cornerstone, correct me if I'm wrong, Dan, you'll probably know this, but the cornerstone was like the firm, solid block stone that was basically like really straight and it's put down and all of the other stones, bricks, whatever, they all line up to this one stone because this stone has the ability to make the whole building grow the way that it should or be built in the way that it should. So because this is so straight, right angles, does everybody like a straight lines and right angles? Yeah, yeah, cool. Um, Because it's so straight, all the other blocks can come this way, all the other stones can come this way, and they're going to be in a straight line because the cornerstone is straight. Or they can all build up this way, and they're all going to be flat because the cornerstone is flat. It's all about this. If this wasn't here, the building would not look the way it's supposed to look. Um, I have, uh, where are my examples? Yes, I've got some examples. Um, does, does anybody know that building? The Leaning, leaning Tower of Pisa? Um, I, th- this might be Google doing this to me, but I searched for a picture of the Leaning Tower of Pisa and then on Instagram, some random person popped up giving me facts about the Leaning Tower of Pisa. <laughs> anyway, apparently the Leaning Tower of Pisa, they realised once they were like three floors up that it was leaning... Um, because something had gone wrong at the bottom. So they decided that it was just going to be an empty building. There's nothing in there. It's just empty. It's just a shell, because otherwise it's going to be too heavy and it will literally fall over. 
But that's a good example of uh, a building which might have not had a solid cornerstone. What's on the next slide, Lorna? Look at that one. That would not pass building inspection, would it? That's a little bit slanted. Next one, Lorna? That one, certainly, I mean... Oh, well. Yeah, it's kind of cool, but it proves my point. <laughs> not straight. Uh, next one. These one, these are all in our... This, our beloved United Kingdom, I believe that these buildings are all in our country. Uh, I don't know how well you can see the crooked house on the right there. Literally a pub that's all slanted. Those ones as well. Uh, is that it? Do we have one more? One more. Now, I don't know how well you can see that. This, I, I discovered a church where the, the spire, this is in this country as well, just goes like this. What's going on there? Anyway, Chesterfield, yes. Um, the point is this. If, if the building's looking a bit funny or a bit wonky, you would think, hmm, what's going on with the foundation or is there a cornerstone? That's what you would think. Because when there's a cornerstone, everything else lines up and does what it's supposed to do. Okay? So, um, <clears throat> I won't read this. Well, no, I will read it, actually. Um, Isaiah 28, the prophet Isaiah, he talks about Jesus being a cornerstone way before Jesus was born, obviously, because he's a prophet. Um, it says this in Isaiah 28, 16. It says, therefore, this is what the sovereign Lord says. This is what God says. Look, I am placing a foundation stone in Jerusalem, a firm and tested stone. It's a precious cornerstone that is safe to build on. Whoever believes never need, uh, need never be shaken. So that's what Isaiah writes of what God said to him. And so Jesus is the cornerstone because he's firm and tested. He's safe to build on. He's unchanging. We sung about that this morning, didn't we? We heard about that. He's, he doesn't change. He's unchanging and he's constant. And he knows what the building needs to look like. So he makes a great cornerstone. Okay? So the next phrase says this. In him, the whole building is carefully joined together. Okay? So the whole building is the church. Okay? Jesus, the cornerstone of the church. In Jesus... The whole building is carefully joined together. Do you know, God takes great care joining people together, building the church. He takes great care with his church. Um, this is where the other bricks come in, come in uh, handy. So he takes somebody like, um, let's start with Phil. This is, this is Phil's brick. Can you see Phil? Fun fact, gaffer tape doesn't stick to bricks. So uh, there you go. Um, but Phil, so he, he takes great care like this. He's like, I know, what, I know where Phil could go. I'm going to put, put some just here. Great care. And then he thinks, hmm, Sharon. Phil and Sharon would go well together. So he gets Sharon. This is Sharon's brick. See Sharon, yeah? Yeah, great. Okay. And then he's like, okay, let's put Sharon here. Lovely. Nice and straight. Look at that. Look at the building. Wow. And he thinks, hmm, Esther. She might, uh, she could go well with Sharon together. They'd be good together, like joined together. So, all right, let's put Esther here. Like that. And Esther needs Steve, obviously. So let's put Steve here. <laughs> there we go. Uh, 
And then Dan had to bring Dan because for the bricks. He's like, Dan, Dan and Steve, what a great idea. He puts Dan here. And you see, like, God, he takes great care putting them down. You see how straight that is? And that's what he does with the church. He's like, great, yeah, they'd be great. Adam needs to be in the church. Let's put Adam here. John needs to be in the church. Let's put John here. And before long, the church gets built up and it looks nice, straight, nice and in line, because God takes great care with the church. He takes great care with us because we're precious to him and we have the highest value and importance. Remember, he calls us his masterpiece, doesn't he? The greatest care. Um, he joins us together with care because he knows how we might best fit into the building. He's the master builder, the, the master architect, the master planner, whatever you call like. He knows what the building needs to look like, and it's his building. He takes great care when he puts us in. And he's the one who knows our skills and talents and gifts and what we bring to the building. All of these bricks bring something to the building. And God knows those things because God put them in us because he created us. So he knows Phil's gifts and talents and abilities. It's like, great, Phil, Phil's needed. And Dan, he knows Dan's abilities and, and talents and Dan's needed. So he puts him in the building. God created Tilly. He put things in you which are needed in the building. And he takes great care as he puts you in there. You see, every single one of us has a, has a proverbial brick in the building or a stone. He calls us living stones. We all have one. We all are one because we're all needed. There's not a single person in God's church that isn't needed. Very often it, it can be really easy to come and you see lots of other big stones maybe. Oh, look at this like person who's doing so much. And it can be easy to look at that and think, well, I don't know what I bring. You know, I'm just sort of turn up and, you know, fill a seat or, or do whatever. Like, it can be easy to think that way, but that's not how God sees it. God sees every single person as valuable and needed for what he's building. 1 Corinthians 14, 26 is that classic verse where it says, um, whenever we're together, each one has a psalm, a hymn, something to bring. Everybody has something. Then it says this, so uh, we say, in him the whole building is carefully joined together and grows, which is exciting. I like things that grow. Things that don't grow are dead, maybe. You know, if something's supposed to grow and it's not growing, you could say, well, is it dead? I don't know. Um, It means that we're not the finished product. We're supposed to grow. We're supposed to change and get bigger and stronger and better. Um, The fact that it describes the church as something that should grow means that if we ever see the church not growing, we should be asking a question. Is something out of line here? Because the church should be growing. That's the way God designed it. Um, Hmm. Yeah, I'll read this. I must have written it for a reason. (laughs) It can be really easy to be critical of the church or of one another. Someone might have done something or said something that's offended us or upset us, 
and we can be quick to judge them or to hold a grudge or to put up our walls and to distance ourselves. I don't know, maybe you needed to hear that. <laughs> I've written it for a reason. That can be easy. Um, and what happens, or when this happens, is that, you know, things like... By the way, this is no reflection on these names. This is purely of an illustration, okay? So let, let's say um, somebody says something to me, and I'm like, oh, that didn't quite sit right. So then this happens. And then so, somebody else, like... I've seen them say something to someone else, mm, I wouldn't have said that. And then, and then this happens. And then, I don't know, like, what else, for example? Maybe somebody's offended me and, and they've not apologised. Mm, hang on. And then, and then this happens. And then, like, all these things can start happening. Um, yeah, like, the building comes out of alignment, doesn't it? Things, yeah, things which can lead to, to the building not being straight, not being lined up with the cornerstone, not apologising and forgiving one another. But I'm saying these things because these things happen, but Jesus, the cornerstone, wants the building to be lined up with him. Yes. Letting bitterness grow inside of us. Not loving one another or preferring one another not seeing the building the way that Jesus sees it. Our view of what the church looks like is so important because it's his church. Not being together. Do you know, like, not, not being together, imagine a, a, a family that, was, that never saw each other. Like, that separation, that distance can cause this to happen to the... Oh, careful. It can cause this to happen to the building. The cornerstone's there to keep us straight and in line with what he wants. When we notice something is skewed, we come back to Jesus. We come back to the cornerstone. This is the thing which never changes, which we can rely on, which we always come back to and say, does something need to change to get me back in line with what he's uh, called me to? Uh, We might need some bits knocking off us. Maybe there's like a little something under here which is stopping these two like sitting together properly, maybe that just needs knocking off. That's, that can be a... Um, <laughs> that was a good... Oh. But you know, like, like, we're not perfect. Sometimes there's things in our lives which God is like, I need to deal with that. And we need to be okay with God shaping us so that he can put us back in how he wants us. And the good news is that whilst it might hurt at the time, afterwards we come back in line like this, back the way that he wants looking nice and straight, okay? The next phrase, into a holy temple for the Lord. Again, I'm not going to say a lot about this because next time I speak, I want to unpack more what the holy temple looks like and specifically our role in the temple. Teaser. Come back next time, (laughs) whenever that is. (laughs) Um, Next phrase, and in him... You two are being built together. Now, take these bricks off for a second. You will find out. There we go. So we talked about the church being built up on the cornerstone. In him, you two are being built together. Or let me put it this way. In him, you too, Steve, 
are being built together into the Steve that God wants. Or in him, Becky, you too are being built together into the Becky that God wants. You see the difference? So, so we, church, are being built together, but also John Longfield is being built together as John. In him, you two are being built together. And so Jesus is not only the cornerstone of the church, all of us, but he is also the cornerstone of my life, of Lorna's life. He's the cornerstone of your life. If you have become a Christian, Jesus comes right into living inside of you, puts this big slab down, and he says, I'm the cornerstone. Now your life can start to line up with me. Um, that means that there's this uh, ongoing process from the moment that I'm saved, the moment of my salvation, right up until the moment I meet Jesus, where I'm being made more like him, and every aspect of my life starts to line up with him. Okay? It's, sometimes, it's not like we get saved and like, oh, here we go, job done. <laughs> That'd be amazing. Yeah. But, but no, we all have things which, which need changing and which need shaping. And so in him, we too are being built together. And so uh, there might be some things which need to start lining with him. Things like, here we go, um, our worship. I'm going to put this one in here. Uh, for example, what I mean by that is... Um, the, the thing that we do where we draw close to God and we elevate him to the highest position in our life. I don't mean how often we sing a song, not worship. It, it's, uh, it's our drawing close to him and it's our elevating of him, okay? So our worship, what we worship, who we worship in our lives. Um, our relationships, part of our life, relationships with parents or family or spouses, children, um, our thoughts, there's another one, thoughts, the things we think about, these are all things which Jesus says, I'm the cornerstone, so these things come in line with me now. Um, our words, the things that we say to ourselves, to one another, that's something that needs to be in line with, with uh, Jesus, the cornerstone. Um, our time, how we spend our time, what we do. These are all things that can be in line with the cornerstone. Why are we being built together as individuals? The next phrase of the verse says, to become a dwelling in which God lives. So God makes a house in his church. We know that. And that's awesome. God also makes a house or dwells in, lives in me and you, Lucinda. And us individually. He lives in the church, but he lives in us individually as well. And he chooses to live there, which is amazing. <laughs> Sometimes I'm like, Oof, why did you choose to live here, God? <laughs> um, it happens the moment that we give our lives to him. The moment I say, Lord Jesus, I'm sorry for the bad stuff I've done. Please forgive me. I want you to live in my life. He comes in and he makes a home in our lives. Um, when that happens, our lives might look like this first picture. I'm not sure how well you can see that. It might be a bit, you know, not easy to live there because we're all broken people the moment we come to Jesus. There's always stuff that's gone on, no matter who we are. All have sinned, it says in the Bible. 
We've all done stuff wrong. But Jesus comes in as the cornerstone so that throughout our lives, we start bringing things in line with him so that we can look more like the next one. Ah, much nicer, isn't it? (laughs) Much cleaner, much tidier. But that's what the cornerstone does. The cornerstone in our lives means that as we start adjusting things, we go from dingy and grotty and dark and not pleasant to having a dwelling place for God that is bright and clean and tidy and comfy and exactly the kind of place where we would all want to live. That's where God wants to live. We want to give him a great place to live. Um, We talked about these things earlier. So, So some things which can cause a misalignment in our own lives. We talked about worship. Um, We can worship anybody we choose to. I don't need to choose to worship God. That's what he wants, but I I, I can choose to worship whoever I want. I can choose to worship anything that I want because worship is what, what you worship or who you worship is the thing that takes the highest place or value in your life. Um. Some people worship money. All all they think about is how can I make more money? How can I succeed more in business? Some people worship uh, entertainment. Uh, You know, they they all they think about is I just want to get home, switch off, stick something on TV, want to be entertained. That's all they all they think about. People worship things. They have this need to like always have more stuff latest this, latest that. Um, We worship other people, people that are not Jesus or God. Some people worship their other half. Um, Some people worship their children. Uh, We might worship the idea of like self-improvement. That's a big thing in 2023. Everybody wants self-improvement, but they they want it without the person that can improve their life, Jesus. But everybody wants self-improvement, so they're buying all the books and listening to all the podcasts to make their lives better, and it it becomes this thing that becomes worship in their life. Who or what we worship is a 24-7 thing. It's not a Sunday morning, 10.30 to 11 thing. Jesus is the one that we worship. And so I'm not going to do the whole, like, out-of-line thing, but but let's say worship in in my life is the thing that I'm like, "Mm, it's not quite aligned, and so it goes from being straight to to being crooked. Um, Our time, and very often these are linked, you know, how we spend our time is often an indicator of the person or the thing that we worship. You could say that about money as well. Somebody says, let me look at your bank account and I'll tell you what you value the most. Um, But I was thinking about this, most of us, maybe we don't, but we would like to sleep for eight hours, let's say, that's recommended. So eight hours of your day sleeping. Maybe you're working for eight hours. That leaves you with eight. Um, You might have dinner for an hour. You might have your morning routine for an hour. Uh, Maybe your commute, so your commute might be an hour or so. Once you take all those things out, we're all of us are only left with five hours in a day. So how do we spend those five hours? We might have some around for dinner. Uh, We might have a hobby that we do. We might be involved in various clubs. We might be really into movies, so most nights a movie goes on. And before you realise it, like, the majority of my 24 hours in a day is, is gone doing lots of things. 
But we have this cornerstone in our life who's saying, like, hello, I'm in here. I want to spend time with you. And spending time with him is the thing that helps our lives align in exactly the right way. Not saying any of those things are bad. It's not bad to have a hobby. It's good to have a hobby. But it's how we prioritise things in our lives that really matters. Um, Our relationships. How do we treat our children? How do we treat our parents? How do we treat our spouse or our siblings? Um, Are we investing in good relationships in our lives with friends or whatever that build us up? Or are we hanging out with people that are doing us no good? Are we good employees or employers? All these relationships that we have in our lives, they can all be brought in line with Jesus the cornerstone to make them the best relationships that they can be. Our thoughts, um, are we guarding this, our minds? It's really important. Um, Are we choosing to think the best of one another? Are we choosing to think the best of ourselves? Do we actively stop any unhelpful thoughts before it's too late? Are we ruling our minds? And then our words, do we speak well of one another? Do we speak life to one another? I think I said this last time, but so often I hear parents not speaking life to their children, speaking things over their children which damage them and have heard people talking years later of how it's damaged them with what their parents say. It's so important what we do with our words. Do we speak badly of one another? Do we gossip? All of these things can cause a misalignment in the building. It's our lives. The last, I love these, the last three words, which I love, is by his spirit. And the good news is that God comes to live in us by his spirit. And we can do all these things by his spirit. We have a person, the Holy Spirit, who helps us. He helps us get our lives lined up with the cornerstone. He helps the church get lined up with the cornerstone. He helps us because he's a helper. That's one of the descriptions of who the Holy Spirit is. And he's God, which means he can do anything. Let's read the verse one last time. There we go. So now you are no longer foreigners or strangers. You're citizens with God's people, members of his family. Together we're his house, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, with Christ Jesus himself as the cornerstone. In him, the whole building is carefully joined together and it grows into a holy temple for the Lord. And in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. Jesus, the cornerstone, he's the central part. That's why I've highlighted it so you can kind of see that visually. He is the central part to this. He's the central part to the church being built up growing and strong. He's the central part to my life being built up and growing and being strong. It's all about him. Everything lines up with him and it's all possible because he's the cornerstone. This really heavy slab is not moving unless Dan picks it up. (laughs) But this is the thing which we can build on and this is the thing which is going to keep us in line. Jesus provides a way for us to build well 
and he will show us what needs adjusting. Um, there might have been some examples where you think, oh yeah, I probably should actually adjust that part of my life because I know that's not quite how the cornerstone wants me to be lined up. Um, or, I mean, it's, it's all by the Spirit. One of the things that the Holy Spirit does is helps us understand <laughs> what we need to, what needs to change, what needs to be better. We're all growing. None of us are finished. Thanks for joining us today. Search for us online and get information about upcoming events and more great teaching.